Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello, friends. Good to see you, and welcome back to the Bill Press Pod. Can you believe it? We're now almost a year into a pandemic that Donald Trump said was going to disappear overnight. There are countless victims of COVID-19. First and foremost, the 300,000 Americans who died from the disease and the 300,000 families broken by it. The 15 million plus Americans who have suffered through or are still suffering from the coronavirus and our healthcare workers, doctors, nurses, and other frontline workers, police, firefighters, security, who didn't have the luxury of staying home and self-isolating. And among those who've been hurt the most are those involved with our schools, teachers who've had to invent a whole new way of informing and inspiring students, parents who've had to juggle working from home with monitoring online schoolwork, and most of all, our children, who've already lost almost a whole year of vital classroom instruction and may lose most of next year as well. When and how can we ever get our schools back on track? For answers today, we turn to Randy Weingarten, president of the American Federation of Teachers. Randy, it's good to see you again and talk with you again. It's always great to see you, Bill. How are you? I'm great. Thank Good. you. Hope you and uh, the rabbi are doing well. <laughs> we are. We're, you know, thank God we're safe. <laughs> uh, it, uh, yes, all of us. It is an exciting time, and you had played an exciting role here. Before we get into the state of our schools and what we can look forward to, I have to ask you, uh, as an elector from New York State, uh, did you do your job and tell us about it? I did today. I went up to Albany and it was fun actually to watch when I got home, you know, all these other electors and all these other state capitals. But it was also sad because with COVID, you had to be very careful in terms of being physically distant and oh, right. not being inside a room for too long, even though we were in this beautiful assembly chambers, which is just a beautiful um, room in the Capitol in Albany. Um, everybody wearing a mask, not taking the mask off at all, um, and not you know, convening in any real way, take walking into taking a test before you did anything else. So it was a reminder as we did what is a really important role in the Constitution, as much as it should be changed and as much of an anachronism as the Electoral College is, it still is that last major piece to states basically um, proclaiming, you know, who will win the Electoral College. And so 
as a social studies teacher, it is quite a, mm-hmm. a, a joy to actually see democracy in action be privileged enough to be a part of it. And all I kept on thinking is I really wished that I was teaching, you know, high school seniors or juniors tomorrow to actually use this as part of a class lesson. Um, But it is quite both quite intense in terms of the ritual as changed um, by COVID, Mm -hmm. but still so important in terms of the foundations of the peaceful transfer of power. Right. And this time for you, it must have been exciting to vote for someone you know, someone you supported, someone who will be (laughs) the next president. Right. As opposed to voting for Al Gore. In um, in 2000 and voting for um, Hillary Clinton in 2016. Um, and, you know, I did an elbow bump with the, the secretary, um, you know, as as we were leaving. Um, but it it is it it felt very, you know, it didn't feel trite. It felt really consequential today, Bill, as much as, you know, I wish we didn't have. I wish we voted for president by popular vote, not by electoral college. And, you know, I've done whatever I can to help change those rules that vote by popular vote, not by electoral college. Right. So let's get to the subject at hand, which is so important. I mean, it's been almost a year now that teachers, students, parents have been struggling with how to respond to how to deal with the reality uh, of COVID. Is there any doubt that students have lost a lot in the last year? No. I mean, just like, um, you know. And, and teachers, world, too, by the way. Yeah. I was going to say, our world has fundamentally changed since last year. Um, I remember that last year at this time, or probably I think a week or two later than this time, in listening to what was going on in Wuhan and looking, you know, and reading, um, I did wonder what it would mean for us. And starting in January, our union kept on pushing at the Trump administration. It's so nice that we're not going to say that soon. <laughs> right. um, but, you know, pushing at the Trump administration to get us information about what was going on. We held our first press conference on this February 2nd, Sarah Nelson and I demanding information from them about what was going on. Um, but I think what um, has happened, the, 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 the response of the Trump administration has created more tragedy um, and despair um, that than we would have had to have. Mm. And, and you see that in a number of ways. One, you see that in the number of deaths. I mean, we now have over 3,000 deaths a day, which think about when um, Pearl Harbor happened or when 9-11 happened, that level of death stop the country cold. And now we're still in a, oh, well, you know, a a portion of the country doesn't believe that COVID exists. 
So the number of deaths, the number of illnesses, the number of people on the precipice about whether or not they're going to you know, be able to stay in their homes, 8 million more people in poverty, um, the um, number of people unemployed, kids who have suffered from social isolation, as well as, you know, the lack of, of, of in-school schooling, um, healthcare workers who are beyond exhausted and beyond a breaking point, teachers who, you know, turned everything on their you know, turned on a dime to change things. This has been not just a year like no other, but unfortunately, and you see this in terms of schooling, the lack of a national response, lack of national guidance, the lack of national resources has really hurt um, everyone. And so, yes, kids have suffered, but the emotional toll that it's taken on them and their families and their and all of our communities um, has been monumental. Now, I think we'll be able to get through it, you know, obviously with the exception of the families who have so suffered because their loved ones have died. I think we'll be able to get through it. I think there are ideas, you know, on the horizon plus, um, you know, a, a sense of hope because of the vaccine and a new administration. Um, but it's been a really, really tough time for everyone. Um, and, and the last thing I will say is the thing that gets me more angry than anything else is that the people on the ground, you know, on the teachers, the principals, the families, the kids, they've all had to try to figure this out. So the, the, the lack of responsibility on top has basically put all the onus on people on the ground. And then you have the right wing and others just blaming teachers. And it is completely wrong and irresponsible, given that I don't, there's not a teacher I know that's not working three, four, five times as hard as ever to try to actually deal with this entire situation. Yeah. So I saw a new uh, Harris poll today, uh, and among its findings, 70 percent of parents said they were worried that their kids were falling behind. Seventy three percent said they were worried that their kids were losing knowledge because of distant learning. Mm-hmm. Um, does that surprise you? And, yeah. and what do you tell them? It doesn't look pre-COVID. If you know, and I'm sure I've said this on your show many a time, pre-COVID when people would ask me, what about remote learning or distance learning and does it work or not? I would say it is not an appropriate substitute for in-person teaching. And so, you know, there's the good news is that some of the studies that have already happened show that kids are not falling as behind as we initially thought. And kids are more resilient than, you know, those of us who are, I'll just talk for myself, Bill, those of us who are in our our 60s. But, you know, but, but at the end of the day, we need to have a path to get kids back in school. And thankfully, given what happened in New York City in September and October, and some other places where they did a lot of testing, um, and they had the money to do a lot of testing, you know, there is a path for probably mid to late January, February, and then with a vaccine, 
there's more and more of a path for more and more kids. And ultimately, I think that if we actually think about the summer as a second, second semester, um, that by the time we get to the fall, we'll be able to create a lot more joy and a lot more focus on instruction. And, you know, hopefully in five years from now, people will say, I went through COVID and survived. And, you know, it created, you know, a whole set of, of different, you know, character traits that, that people then remember fondly mm-hmm. the further away we are from it. <laughs> right. <laughs> so today, what do you think? Should, should schools be open or not? I mean, it's all over the place, right? L.A. is closed. They're closed in New York. They were closed. Now they're open. You know, I keep putting this out. I I put a blueprint out on in on November thirtieth about how to reopen schools safely. Um, uh, Since last April, April thirtieth of last year, I guess I must like doing things on the thirtieth of a month. (laughs) April thirtieth of you know this year, the AFT put out a blueprint that said. It's not whether schools should reopen, it's how we reopen them. So I'm a big believer in following the science and trying to get kids to the extent that we can back to some level of in-person learning. And the good news is this, because of the testing that the UFT, my local union in New York City, was able to really force through, um, and it cost a lot of money, but because of the testing, we do know that the safeguards, um, uh, you know, of PPE and ventilation and um, cleaning schools and and physical distancing, that has kept younger kids and their teachers safe in schools. That has been really good mitigation. Um, and 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 so you can open K through five schools safely when you're not in a surge, um, even during this pandemic. You have to have the testing. You have to have those safeguards. But I feel pretty confident about that. And I also feel confident, given the data that I've seen, that um, because you have a lot of personnel that are handling kids with special needs, you can also make sure that kids with special needs um, are in an in-person setting. The place, the, what we don't know, Bill, is because high school kids act more like adults mm-hmm. and act more like college kids. What we've seen, again, through September, October in New York City and other places, is they don't mask up. They're, you know, they don't follow physical distancing. And we saw a whole lot more virus that travels with them. Um, And so I don't know what to do yet in terms of high schools because the vectors of transmission are, you know, are are there. Um, So and that high school in school, high schools may have to wait until we have, um, you know, that that we have more of a vaccine or that we get to a very low level of of COVID. Um, I don't think we know about that yet, but for um, K through five kids and for kids with special needs, I think that we can reopen um, in-school learning with the safeguards that we have advocated and with the testing. 
And but, middle middle school, where does that fall? There's not enough evidence right now in middle school. To the evidence that we've seen in New York City is that middle school kids are acting like high school kids. Hmm. But you know, in but in other places, you know, if you have aggressive testing and enough space, we might be able to. I would what I would what I would do is you know first we have to get the surge down. And I think that that um, even, um, uh, you know, that that even the L.A. Times editorial that talked about reopening schools, you know, said that we have Mm -hmm. you can't be um, um, escalating a surge every single day. There is a point where schools cannot be islands. I mean, schools are not islands and they're not impervious to this surge. And particularly since. You know, teachers and kids are traveling to and from schools. What the data we're seeing is that schools themselves, particularly early ed schools, are not super spreading events. Right. So, so I would actually try um, and and have you know places like Chicago and New York and I mean and 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 L.A. and you know really th- be thinking about. If you have, if we plateau or if we decrease the COVID, um, you know, if we can turn this around, that that um, uh, schools, elementary ed, can be opened mid January on. Right. I know you talk uh, often with uh, Dr. Fauci. Uh, what does he tell you about opening schools? <laughs> What's his plan? You know, look, I think Dr. Fauci and and Joe Biden um, said it right um, last week when they said in when Biden said or President elect Biden said that in his first hundred days, he wants to see the majority of schools open. But it takes two caveats. One is that you have to get the resources. And two is there has to be a real um, adherence to the um, to the public health safeguards. Um, a vaccine is, you know, and then at one point or another, a vaccine, you know, will start kicking in. Um, mm-hmm. Teachers and students, I think, should be um, a priority after healthcare workers. I want to be clear about that. Um, and after those who are most at risk. So, you know, teachers and kids should be like, you know, in that 1B category. I've been advocating for that. Um uh, so and I and so Dr. Fauci basically, you know, there there are no miracles here, and um, the safeguards like you know no math like masking is really important. The safeguards of of trying to limit travel as as he has urged for Christmas mm-hmm. will help you know limit the surge. Right. Um, and I think that if Dr. Fauci was sitting here, he would say. That you know, school is important. The safeguards are important, and um, figuring out community spread is important. And to to limit it um, by not traveling and wearing a mask is very, very important. We're talking with Randy Weingarten, president of the American Federation of Teachers, here on the Bill Press Pod. Uh, let's take a quick break, and then we'll be right back. Continue our conversation with Randy. Today's break from the Bill Press pod, uh, I want to just say a word about this holiday season. Are you still thinking about that perfect gift for yourself or someone you love? 
Let me suggest nothing better than an original Carol Press handwoven scarf. As you may know, Carol, my wife, is a weaver, has her studio right in back of our house on Capitol Hill in Washington, where she hand weaves every single scarf, either of rayon chenille or bamboo. They're beautiful, come in a dazzling array of patterns and colors, just the right one for your wardrobe and just the right thing to keep you warm in this winter season. So check out Carol's website at carolpressscarves.com. Each of her scarves is hand-woven by Carol herself. Each of them is a work of art. The perfect gift for yourself or someone you love this holiday season. Again, check out Carol's website, carolpressscarves.com. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And we're back with Randy Weingarten, president of the American Federation of Teachers, talking about the state of American schools in this time of COVID. Um, Randy, thank you again for joining us. So you mentioned uh, three big cities, uh, the, the biggest school districts. And in fact, um, there was an op-ed in the Washington Post. Maybe it was the New York Times. Um, yeah, I Washington Post. Washington Post. By yeah. the superintendents of education for New York City, Los Angeles, and Chicago, calling for what they say a Marshall Plan right. for American schools. Um, yeah, I, I kind of wish they had written that, you know, when those of us in the vineyards have been fighting for that kind of Marshall Plan <laughs> for months and months. It's nice that they're writing it now. I mean, I'm glad they did it, but it's nice they're writing it now after President-elect Biden has been elected. You know, it's it's not... It's 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 not hard for those 
free superintendents to write it now. It would have been nicer to help us, you know, going into September and October to have those resources. Does their goal of a, I guess, a federal massive effort, right, to bring the help that's, that American schools need, um, does it make sense? Yes, late, of course. Late or not? And, of course and, it does. I and, mean, what, and what do you want to see, like, as part of a you so, as, as a so Marshall what they, So what they said was they raised four issues, all of which are important. They raised the issues of, you know, having money for PPE and, you know, like masks and cleaning. Um you actually need ventilation as well. That's really important. And the CDC has basically said that that will cost about $450 a student. So, you know, you got 50 million students. That's a lot of money. Yep. So there's so they raise that as number one. Number two, they raise the issue of testing and contract, contact tracing. And that is also really important. That has been the key to what has um, helped be an early warning system in New York City. And I'm a big believer in having that, um, having the the testing and the contact tracing, because then you know, and then you know if you can keep schools open, and then you know if you have cases, particularly from, you know, from differently vectored, that you're going to have to close and open and close and open. And that and and that's important. Number three, they raised something we've also raised for months and months and months, which is you need to have a lot of money for community schools and wraparound services and nurses and guidance counselors and to deal with the trauma that, that our kids, frankly, our teachers and our families are facing. Um, and, and number four, they raised the issue of money for summer school. Now, mm-hmm. where, where I disagree with them is that Summer should not be thought of as how to deal with learning loss. Kids are resilient. Summer should be thought of as another semester in a voluntary way. We get kids outside like rich kids have summer camp. We figure out how to do real enrichment and joy and plan for that and and really kind of plan for how we're going to help kids feel welcome and safe and 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 engaged and then we use next year as a way of like assessing where kids are and how to make next year either a makeup or an enrichment or whatever and then we have the whole year to do it not just six weeks but really thinking about this summer as joy and hope to 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 celebrate the end of the pandemic the start of the vaccine and really starting to create that kind of resiliency but the last thing is you got to actually talk to teachers. Teachers are the ones who are going to be in school meeting kids. We need to have the latitude to be able to teach. And, and those folks who have kids at home who are at risk or who are taking care of their parents or who themselves are at risk, we need to say to them now, we're not going to put you in that kind of vice of trying to decide, is it safe for you to be in school and taking home an asymptomatic virus? And so what I would say to these superintendents is work with your teachers and make sure that those who volunteer to be in school right now, start with them and make sure that those 
who need a reasonable accommodation. There's plenty of parents that are reluctant to send their kids to in-person learning right now. Let them volunteer, have remote teach people, kids who are in, at, at distance and have in school, teach in school. And if the numbers don't work out, let's get some super, super, super um, uh, substitutes. Let's pay them a going rate. Let's have some AmeriCorps volunteers and we'll figure out how to do this this semester. Right. One thing, one takeaway from me from their editorial was a, a couple of facts that I should have been aware of, uh, but was not, which to me underscored the paramount importance of public schools in this country. To read that in Los Angeles, 80% of the kids in Los Angeles live in poverty. Yes. 82% of the kids in New York City are children of color. Yes. So, I mean, our public schools... Our public schools are found. I'm sorry, Bill. No. Our public schools yeah. are foundational to our democracy. Exactly. They're foundational to our economic viability. They're foundational to our kids' success. And what our public schools do is we feed kids all the time. We feed their and 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 in this pandemic, through grab and goes, we've been feeding their families. We're you know the the fact that 15 million of our kids still don't have connectivity or good devices or the proper internet. And the only place that they get that is in school. The fact there's there's so much that that you that is exposed by schools not being physically opened. And that's part of the reason, if you hear my annoyance, it's that all of us should have been in this place last April in terms of fighting to get these this funding so that we could have used last summer to actually have enough of the semester in September and October and November before you have to surge again. Look what's happening in South Korea. South Korea has gone through three waves. They've opened schools for a while, then they close them when they have a wave, then they open them again. But they've actually figured out how to do these kinds of things because the learning loss, the, the social isolation, all of this was obvious. And mm -hmm. so, yes, it is now time we need to make sure that we don't lose another semester, but let's do it in a way that we make sure that people trust that we can open schools and keep kids in our and, and, and educators safe. Let me ask you, you know the man, you've known him for a while. What do you know about, and what can we expect about President-elect Biden's commitment to public education? So, you know, President-elect Biden, um, look, let me just say this. He's a fabulous man. All of the work, all of what people talk about, about his empathy, his effectiveness, his listening. He has um, gone through hell and back. And the fact that he has run for this office, wanted to be president, I think that the, 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 the way in which he has operated in the last few weeks to keep people calm as Trump was attempting to subvert our democracy, he was smarter than a lot of us who were fretting Trump every single day. And, and I think that, that that comes with a lot of experience and a lot of judgment. 
So he was my go-to person in the Obama administration. And, you know, mm-hmm. there were times, the Obama, uh, President Obama believed in public education, but we had real differences in terms of how to strengthen schools. Mm-hmm. He thought about it as being top down and that account of, you should lead with accountability. I think about it as it needs to be, we need the resources from the top. We need to have um, the top really focus on civil rights and on being a clearinghouse and on doing some accountability. But it is really bottom up meeting the needs of kids and giving some of us the freedom and the latitude to meet those needs and have the resources to do it. And, and, and so there's a difference in terms of where accountability falls. Is it first or does it follow teaching and learning? And I believe that it follows teaching and learning, not that you start with accountability. And so Joe Biden, I believe, um, because not only because of his wife, but because of what he has said over and over again on the trail and what he has done in terms of the platform, I believe that he believes that public education is foundational and that we have to actually let teachers teach. Yes, we need to make sure that we have a real focus on strengthening schools. We have to have a real focus on having the resources, but we have to create passion and purpose not just a fixation on test scores in schools throughout the country. And so just like President Obama, he's a big believer in public schools. Um, mm-hmm. But I believe that he will you know, find ways to get us the resources and to help us um, lift up the strategies that really work to educate all of our children. Uh, and you don't have any problem, do you, with uh, Mrs. Biden continuing to... Uh... I mean, Dr. Biden? Jill Biden. Dr. Biden? Yes. <laughs> That's me. Can I mean, you believe I, that? I, I did have a real problem with the Wall Street Journal. Yeah. Again, undermining. How, how dare you undermine her doctorate? Right. I mean, it's, it's never been a problem before suddenly today, right? Right. Dr. Jill but, Biden. But you know, ultimately, it's but that is the undermining of our profession. That's the yeah. undermining of teaching. And, and, and it is... And, you know, as, as someone who's both a teacher and a lawyer, I see it all the time. I see how lawyers get the benefit of the doubt. I see how medical doctors get the benefit of the doubt. Dr. Jill Biden is a doctor of education. Teachers should get the benefit of the doubt. She, so, so look, she's fabulous. And, but she looks at the, you know, she, she looks at, education and she you know and our profession through the challenges of what we need to do as physicians of the mind and i'm glad that she's gonna um keep on teaching um you know i never figured out a way to keep teaching when i was the president of either the uft or the aft although i love it and i miss it and so i'm glad that she's gonna figure it out she'll figure it out and I don't imagine, Randy, that there will be any regrets to see a new Secretary of Education <laughs> and to say goodbye to Betsy DeVos, probably the worst Secretary of Education in our lifetime. Well, she just didn't believe in public education. Right. So 90% of kids go to public education, and she didn't believe in it. And she did everything in her power to undermine and undermine, to defund, to destabilize. I mean, this is the... It's, it's not just... You know, that when she was confirmed, 
But when she had her hearing, you know, she talked about needing guns to protect kids in Wyoming from grizzly bears or that right. she didn't know the IDEA. Forgot that, right. The civil yeah. rights laws in, in the United States that the Department of Education actually, you know, implements. But, but it's that, think about what has happened in these four years. We had a spate of school shootings. And what she did is she rushed to facilitate the, you know, Donald Trump's arming of teachers and, 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 and fortifying schools with armaments and things like that, not fortifying us with guidance counselors and with the resources to meet the needs of kids, but with arming us and with um, putting and making schools into fortresses. And yet two years later, in the midst of COVID, when we really needed advice about mm. what to do and, and resources about what to do to reopen schools safely. Nothing. Nothing. So you think about just the juxtapositioning of her being, you know, part and parcel of the NRA, not helping make sure that kids and teachers feel safe. Instead, all the stuff to sell all this, you know, yeah. you know this arm, you know, 90% of schools became armed fortresses. But at that moment that we have this pandemic and we needed the safeguards, nothing. And, and, right. and, and that gives you a sense of how just non-caring she is about kids and about, you know, teachers and about communities. Well, a new day is coming. Uh, a new day under Joe Biden and Dr. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and Randy Weingarten at the helm of the American Federation of Teachers. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Randy, so much for your time. Happy holidays to Thanks you. Thanks so much. See you right. too, Bill. Talk Please to you again. my love. Thanks. All right. Thank you. And that's it for today's podcast with Randy Weingarten, president of the American Federation of Teachers, or AFT. Check out their website, aft.org to find out more about all the great work the AFT under Randy Weingarten is up to. Uh, meanwhile, if you haven't already done so, please don't forget, subscribe to the Bill Press Pod. We need you as part of the team. And you can do so by just pulling up Bill Press Pod on whatever platform you're now listening to. Click on the word subscribe and you are in. And that's it. Otherwise, just asking you again to please stay safe, self-distance, Wear a mask, follow all the guidelines of the CDC when you're planning your holidays. Take care of yourself, and we'll see you on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.